Hello and welcome to Comic Book Herald's Creanitators. I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. Today, I'm excited to be joined by J.H. Williams III. We're talking all things Echo Lands, as well as his comics career spanning Promethea, Batwoman, Sandman Overture, and so much more. We are going to talk about Echo Lands in some detail. Some spoilers may follow, so I highly recommend reading. The first three issues have been released at the time of this recording. For those of you who are not super familiar, Echo Lands is a fascinating high fantasy creator-owned concept from J.H. and W. Hayden Blackman, follows Core, Hope, and a band of rebel misfits through a twisting maze of pop culture characters, references, and of course, an evil empire that they're trying to outrun. But it's a lot more than that. It's a little complicated to summarize. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, J.H., thanks so much for joining. Um, when you were pitching Echo Lands, what, mm -hmm. what was the pitch? Like, How did you go about explaining what it was you, that you wanted this book to be? Um, without spoiling the the main hook of why everything is the way it is in the story. Um, because of course in the pitch process, you kind of have to like say, well, we're going to do this, this, and this, and here's why. Yeah. Uh, but the why is a sort of a big mystery uh, within the tale that's slowly being revealed as we go. Mm -hmm. um, so that was pretty much it. It's just like, you know, kind of spelling out to, uh, you know, Eric Stevenson over an image that the core concept can function in a way to where we can tell any kind of tale that we want to. And, but even though we can do that, it's really a mashup of all these various things and how yeah. they can, you know, where, you know, I kind of just spelled it out. It was like, you can uh, have a, an elf next to a vampire, next to a cowboy, next to, you know, a medieval soldier or yeah. a Roman soldier or, or, or a futuristic Roman soldier or whatever you want to do. And here's why. <laughs> and then that's the part I can't tell you. <laughs> right, right. Okay. No, that's cool. And that, that definitely gives is a big part of the the book's visual hook and visual appeal that I do want to touch on. Um, so Echolance, it's a concept that's been with you since you were a kid, right? It's been this years in the making thing uh, with co-writer yeah. W. Um, w. Hayden Blackman. What's been the most satisfying part for you to see these issues finally come out into the world? I know it's been a, a long journey. It's been yeah, really long, uh, much longer than any of us thought it would be. Um, uh, to clarify, the some of the overall big picture of Echo Lands, the hook that I can't really tell you what it is uh, because that needs to be a surprise for for people. Um, that came much later than when I was a kid. What came sure. first when I was a kid was some of the characters and the, the, and the feel that I wanted. So, you know, I knew, I knew what hope was going to be, uh, the basics of her. I knew the villain, but the villain, my, er, my early drawings of the villain changed dramatically compared to what we've come up with. So I have like a lot of old initial drawings of some of the characters or variations of what the characters became. Yeah. Um, so a lot of that stuff was, you know, some of the characters or the ideas for characters were developed when I was a kid, but then there's a whole slew of them that were new as we started developing the concept. Uh, some are even new in regards to writing the individual issues. There's stuff that we ended up coming up with that we hadn't really planned on. Mm. So like Hayden and I, when we started building this thing, we came up, uh, I think I approached him with like, here's the character. Here's what I think the setting is. And this, and that jazzed him enough to where he's like, Oh, we could really go crazy with this. And so in our conversations, he started developing a lot of stuff too, that we could interject things that he was super excited about because of the, uh, because of the big mystery behind what the Echo Lands are. Uh, yeah. And then, uh, and then our conversations started to evolve hope into what she is and what she will become. So we got that all solidified and same with some of the, you know, the villain, villain characters but some of the new character and, and core i think core and rabbit and hope were like the central figures that we had decided on as our heroes yeah. um in, in the outline but as we started writing the issues it dramatically changed 
when certain events happened and we're like, wait a second, if we do this and this and this, uh, you know, cause like an outline an outline, yeah, it can give you the story structure and it depends on how detailed you want to be. It can give you from the A to Z, right. Uh, all in the outline. So we knew where we were going, but some of the, the more fun stuff, like the, the pieces that built that as we go, began to change in the writing process. And it became very evident when we start writing issue two, based on what we did in issue one, there were certain things where like, oh, no, some of these characters from that are in the peripheral backgrounds, when they get attacked at the end of issue one, they need to survive. Some of them need to survive. Because mm-hmm. I, I started to feel like it was too convenient that the characters that we decided early on in our in our outline were only going to be the only ones to make it. And I'm like, wow, we've got all these interesting things here. Hmm. Let's, let's have some of them survive. And so that spurred us on to when we wrote issue two to develop a whole secondary cast of characters that were now, that are now part of the main cast. Yeah. What's fascinating for me and super gratifying is how effective it was to do that in making the story richer. Yeah. Uh, what, what each of those characters arcs are going to be. Uh, we had to quickly think about, well, what, where are we going with some of these characters? And that kind of informs the bigger, the bigger outline and the bigger plot. And um, it's kind of spread things out more uh, for more exploration, which I think in turn in the long run will make it much more richer. It makes it a bigger project, but it'll be better for it. So yeah, there's kind of a lot to say there, but yeah. No, that's a good answer. That is interesting. I mean, so I guess this was something I was planning to ask towards the end, but I'm kind of curious now, you know, you're talking about expanding the core cast of characters and expanding, you know, and and what that inevitably I think probably does for the story is there's more time needed, right. To explain their narrative arcs and and fill these things out. Um, Obviously all this is flexible, but like how, how long do you see Echo Lands going? Like kind of what is the, what is the intended plan for, for how long you could take this? I don't know. I mean, based on the concept, once we reveal what the concept, the reason for the concept and how broad it can be, which I think people are starting to get a clue on when they read the end of issue three, they're like, they're, I had some reactions from people when they got to the end of issue three, were like, you know, Holy shit. This is yeah. uh, not what I thought, you know, they thought right. they had it figured out. Yeah. But they knew what they were in for. And then they uh-huh. get to the end of issue three and they're like, wait a second. It's a great cliffhanger. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, based on the core concept and how broad we can go, I mean, we could potentially tell Echoland stories forever. Mm -hmm. Uh, The main story that we're focused on with Hope's journey, we're not sure how long it's going to take us to get to the end of that. We had an original idea, but that's all kind of out the window a little bit because the expansions, uh, some scenes end up, taking longer than you think they will when you start to, to figure out and how to construct it. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's some sequences where we're like, Oh, well this part will be short in our mind with the, with the outline. But then when we start to actually get into the, into the physical construction of it, the writing and drawing, we're like, no, 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 that's, that's not going to fit. So some stuff has had to expand. And then with the new additions, you know, it really kind of blows things out. Uh, for, for the for the better, I think, even though it's going to be a much bigger project than we we, we had originally thought. Sure. Um, and so we haven't kind of given ourselves a, a, a firm deadline on like the number of issues or whatever. We kind of feel like, let's let the story tell us what it needs to be and how long it needs to be. Um, and, and, and I think that's probably good. In some ways, it's bad because, you know, it can kind of – you have to be careful. You don't want to be on a runaway train and want to be able to stay focused on your end goal. Uh, but at the same time, you don't want to ignore these new potentials that can make your end goal much more satisfying when you get there. Uh, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's an interesting process. Sure. Sure. That's cool. So let's back it up a little. You talk about working with Hayden. Um, you've, you've written about this a bit in the backups of Echolands and also in other interviews. Um, you've worked with Hayden before. You guys have been friends for 
some time, uh, you know, most notably, I think on, on Batwoman for, for DC comics, a lot of fans, you know, comics fans will know. Um, you talked about how that kind of helps shape your collaborative process together. Like I was curious, what, what do you think specifically about Echolands do you think would look different today if you hadn't had that experience? Like if you guys hadn't done, you know, a fairly long run on Batwoman previously. Yeah, I don't know. That's a really good question. Um, Hmm. It's hard to, it's hard to figure that out. I, I think possibly the work wouldn't be as confident maybe yeah. as, as it is uh, possibly we might've been less open to um, following these, these new ideas that came to mind that as we started developing those bits realized they had to be there yeah um some of that might not have necessarily come about it's hard to say um but in terms of like i guess we'd be on a different learning curve on how our the the production side of our collaboration would function Mm -hmm. so you know that time all that time on batwoman really taught us a lot about how our collaborative uh functioning can work on the actual production side not just the development side the development side is whatever it is but that that's a different dynamic when compared to doing the the actual grunt work of you know writing scripts and and all that stuff it's very different so I, i think that our time on batwoman taught us a lot about how each other think in construct scene construction so like an outline an outline will kind of like, okay, this happens, this issue, this happens, this issue, and so on and so on. But it's not really breaking down individual scenes. And so I think our time on Batwoman, learning how each of us see different scenes and can work to each other's strengths or weaknesses, uh, just inevitably made Echolands a better product, I think, because of that. And it also built the confidence, like I said, in what yeah. we were doing, you know? Yeah. No, I'm sure it, it creates some shorthand and, and shortcuts. You know, it is, it's kind of like an, it, okay, in this alternate reality, right. where this thing hadn't happened, <laughs> what would have happened? No, but it's interesting because it, I think it shapes, you know, a lot of just the fact that you're familiar with each other and you know, you know how the other thinks. I mean, that, that, yeah. that can come through in a work, right? In, in a yeah. collaboration where the thinking is so aligned. Um, so one of the things that's, that's the most striking about Echo Lands uh, certainly for American comics readers is like that it reads horizontally, right? You're working entirely mm-hmm. in landscape here. Yeah. Um, it, it really is a different reading experience. You know, it seems yeah. like a simple thing. Hey, just turn the comic on its side, but it, it truly is a very different feel. Yeah. Um, can you explain how working in landscape shapes the kind of story you tell in Echolands or ways that it actually shifts maybe some of your storytelling choices? Yeah. Um, the, the decision to turn it on its side or it was a, a decision we made early, early on without really understanding what that would mean. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the technical aspect, we're just like, Oh, that would be cool because it'll be distinct and different. And it'd yeah. be different than anything I'd done before. Um, so I was like, we should give it a shot. And so that we were married to that f- from the outset. Um, sure. Cause in my mind, you know, a lot of the things I work on, I work in a lot of double page spreads already. Mm-hmm. Um, so in my mind, I was thinking, oh, going sideways, imagine the double page spread that way, how it can, in my mind, I was like, I was thinking about the panoramic yeah. feel, the epic nature of just changing that format. And then as we started working on it, it was interesting how perfectly suited the format was to the story, because the mm. story is this epic tale, this mythic fiction, epic tale with all these crazy things. Um, and so it just seemed like, oh yeah, of course it should be on its side, you know, mm-hmm. kind of changing the scope. Now the technical side of producing pages like that were which way more challenging than I expected. Hmm. I was like, you know, like kind of how you put it. We're like, oh yeah, you just turn it on side. No, no big deal. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I struggled. It always takes me a good issue on a project to kind of get my sea legs. Uh, 
with Echolands, I, I didn't start feeling com- more comfortable in the format until I was working on issue three, hmm. so, which is, and, you know, part of it is my own stupidity because I don't do thumbnails. I don't do all this hmm. pre-planning. Uh, I don't, you know, all the design aspects live in my head. So that, of course, the fact that I attacked this that the same way where I don't do any thumbnails made it even more challenging because when after working for decades doing the standard format, even though I would do double page spreads a lot, you're still basically roughly a square, right? Yeah. Port- portrait size. Um, uh, so I was thinking, oh, well, it shouldn't be that hard because it's just turning on its side. It's the same measurements, just rearranged, right? Same number of inches. But I quickly realized that my design ideas I would think of in my head, because I had worked in for so many years, it was difficult to translate those visuals into that shape. Hmm. It still is, actually. I'm on, on issue seven, and there's still things I struggle to make work. So when we're writing the scripts, I do my best to think about the format. Um, it quickly affected the way we constructed scenes, I feel like. Um, uh, but even though the scripts are meant for that format, there's design ideas I come up with that I throw into those scripts that still have this weird, loose tether to the older, you know, the other, the traditional format. Hmm. So I'll throw things in there thinking it should apply. And then when I get into the construction of the art, some things just don't work the way I thought they would. So Hmm. I have to make adjustments right then and there. Is Uh, it usually more like design and, and like, like trim oriented just because of the the pages are shorter. Is that essentially what it comes down to? Okay. Very much so, especially taking dialogue into consideration. So like the first couple issues of Echo Lands were pretty sparse on dialogue and we wanted it to be fast paced. As we get more into the meteor characterization stuff, the dialogue becomes more, a little bit more heavy, Um, not excessive, just, you know, it's more to it. And it's interesting how much when you deal with this shape rather than this shape, mm-hmm. the amount of dialogue per, per panel makes a huge difference, more than you would normally have to worry about. So it changes the whole dynamic of how I construct a panel compositionally, what, how that panel is going to fit compositionally. It's... Uh, but in some ways it's kind of cool, even though it's challenging, it's cool that that challenge exists. So it's always like this interesting puzzle. I have to figure out yeah. page, especially cause I don't want pages that are just panel, 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 panel. I still want to be able to do right. things in a, in a way that I don't know that are me, I guess you could say. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's got, I mean, it definitely has that, that visual flair. Like you can tell if you've read your past works, you know, that this is, this is you. Um, but that is interesting to hear those, how those challenges would manifest in ways you might not expect. Cause it my I, my thinking was, you know, with familiarity with Promethea, with familiarity with Sam and Overture, like you said, you work in double page so yeah. often that it's like in my head, I was like, Oh, you're like, you traditionally work in landscape anyway, almost. Right. Um, but it's not, it's not quite the same thing, you know, yeah. when you actually flip this thing on the side, yeah. um, I would really re- recommend people get to a shop or wherever you can find this, this echo lands in print and like, and, and at least pick it up and give it a look because holding it and reading it, that first issue in particular, mm-hmm. like you said, the pace is fast and it, it, it just plays so much more like a chase scene, like um, we're running through the comic because of the structure yeah. of it. It's really cool. Um, was the was the focus on turning it? Was there any part of you that was like, "This will play better in print," and that is purposeful and important to us, um, or was it more just the challenge of it in terms of you for keeping yourself creatively engaged? Originally, it was it was more about the challenge of it. You know, the you know trying something I hadn't done before, uh, and then as we started working on it, I became more involved in the technical side of how that layout can function. Yeah. And 
the biggest thing I became focused on really quickly was uh, left-right flow. So, you know, when you're dealing with a portrait uh, style comic, traditional format comic, you know, your average page, a single page, you know, it's like kind of like this effect, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, right. But when you're dealing with a double page spread in a traditional format, you have roughly two ways to go about it. Uh, three, if you want to get really crazy. Um, but usually it's, you know, like this, right? Mm-hmm. Or it's like this, or it's like this, or, you know, going around it. Um, is, that, is the circle the crazy option? Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah you, have, you really have the right for knowing you're going to do that ahead of time. Yeah. Um, but uh, with Echolands, some of that zigzaggy stuff doesn't really apply because of the landscape. So you, I became very quickly focused on that flow from left to right. Even though there's times where I'll make you still go across like this, it's still that division and width makes you have to think left to right, no matter what. Um, a, a circular idea of storytelling just won't work in this format. So yeah, right. we'll never be able to really do that. Yeah, I'm, trying, uh, I'm looking at a copy and I'm trying to picture that and <laughs> my eyes are crossing a little. <laughs> yeah. It just, <laughs> so yeah, it became left, you know, very much about left to right. And I feel like by the time I was at the end of issue two, and into the beginning of issue three, I felt like more comfortable in that that flow effect. Yeah. Enough to the point where there's parts on issue three where I'm like, okay, I'm comfortable with this idea of the flow. Now how, I'm, how am I going to fuck with that? Mm-hmm. So there's parts where I purposefully is reading, reading, stop right in the middle. Hmm. Oh, now come up here. Like you break a r- regular page, but now you're breaking it. Yeah, I don't know. This is sort of the, some of the things I would do like on Promethea or Batwoman where I, I even though it's a spread, I'd want you to re- read one half at a time. Yeah, so right. Stuff, yeah, there's stuff in here where I'm doing that just to keep, uh, I don't know, it might annoy some readers, I don't know. But for me, I feel like it's a way to keep you on your toes and uh that's funny that that promethea trick got me because i I just went back uh, and i was rereading promethea before this and um that trick got me several times where i i went from left to right and then i realized oh no he's telling me to go up and down here and do them one page at a time it got me several times yeah that's (laughs) and and sometimes you know that can be effective or you know i don't know if it's disorienting or disjointing for some readers but for myself i kind of do that sometimes just so i have a mental break as well Hmm. Um, and so I don't feel like I'm being stuck into just one mode of thinking. And so I try to pick the appropriate scenes to do that with, um, uh, even though compositionally you could see it as a spread because there'll be some sort of central image that encompasses, connects the two sides, but hopefully that central image works as a break in most cases. Um, yeah. Uh, to get you to read it slightly more traditionally, I guess you could say. And then there's parts like when you get to issue five, issue five, <laughs> I don't, I just got the colors back from Dave Stewart on that uh, yeah. a couple weeks ago. And they're just out of sight, of course. But uh, <clears throat> so it's cool to see that issue again. I hadn't looked at it in a while, but issue five, we really challenged the idea of what it means to be landscape. Oh, cool. So you have one narrative across the top and one narrative across the bottom through the Mm. entire thing. So Mm -hmm. not only is it long because it's landscape, but now we've cut that in half and made it extra. So it's extra, like it's crazy. And seeing it again, I'm like, I don't know how we did it. (laughs) (laughs) It was, it was really tough, but it's those sort of things that I get excited over because I'm like, well, I don't know if it's possible to do it or, or if it, well, nothing's impossible, but it's like, is it going to work? Yeah. Is it going to work? Is it, play? Is, is it wor- is worth the trying to see if it'll work? You know what I mean? But once, yeah. once you're in it, you can't sort of like ditch the idea halfway, <laughs> halfway through right. and go, right. nope, I'm in, you know, in for a pound and for a penny. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's like, awesome. <laughs> I'm excited to read that now. I mean, yeah, that's super exciting. You know, as, as, 
like for comic creators who are super familiar with the medium, like it's, it's for me, at least it's always exciting to see mm-hmm. attempts. Right. And it's like, even if they don't work, it's going to be interesting. Exactly. Right. And it's, it's something new and something to, to explore. So yeah, that sounds exactly. awesome. Uh, one of the things I'm enjoying in terms of exploration with this book is in Echo Lands, you know, you're playing with this blend of style and direct homages to the characters and worlds as they've appeared, you know, like you said up front, you can have a vampire next to a Roman soldier next to Frankenstein, but they, but they look sort of like the, you know, the, the culturally like most well-known version of themselves, which is, right, which is yeah. very cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So in, in, in like, I noticed in issue three and I won't spoil anything um, towards the end, but like, there's a very Kirby inspired hero uh, that mm-hmm. I got, you know, as, as some coming off an Eternals kick with the movie in theaters, right. It was very, <laughs> very Kirby. It was awesome. Um, yeah. While I think we're clearly building right to a narrative reason for this type of world, and I don't want to spoil that, like, what do you what do you find yourself enjoying about this this technique? And have there been any real favorites for you to get to do so far? <laughs> favorites, ooh, that's tough. Um, each one of them presents an interesting challenge because often I'm working with some of these characters. I'm working in a style I'm not uh, fully practiced in. Mm-hmm. So every time I, I tackle, say, we'll pick Rosa, the vampire, as an yeah. example. When she first appears, uh, she gets one little snippet scene at the end of issue one, just a little tiny bit. And then her role begins to expand dramatically in issue two. But as I was drawing her, I knew what I wanted in my head and how, that I wanted this idea of, you know, classic universal monsters uh horror um imagery but also in my mind was classic 1970s black and white horror comics too Mm, yeah so i wanted to try to evoke as much of that as i could but every time i drew her i was like nope still not right Mm. still not right I, i i feel like it took me I don't know, three issues or so drawing her to where I, I kept refining the technique I was using. Yeah. Get it more and more like what I hope it would, would be. And now that we're, when we get to a part in issue six, that style becomes extremely important. And so that's another reason why I was like, I can't flub on her at all and pass it off to Dave to, to, you know, to make it look the way I want. I need yeah. to make it look as much, as I wanted, uh, as it needed to be as possible to where I didn't rely on color for that character. Mm. Because mm. when we get to show where she's from, it's all like her. So uh, I really needed to, you know, refine that style. I feel like even though I'm now in, in pages dealing with that, where everything is like her, I'm still finding that uh, I'm feel like I still have to refine and refine and refine and get a handle on that style. Yeah. Uh, but I'm becoming more happy with the results than I was at the beginning. Um, uh, that's super fascinating. And then like in counterpoint uh, to something complex like her, cause all that rendering just is insane amount of time con- consumption. Yeah. That's one of the things that's super frustrating about the style for me creatively is like how much time I spend on like the spread I did before the one I'm working on now, I think I spent, I think I counted up the days, not counting weekends was 11 days. Oh, wow. Yeah. For two pages. And at the end of it, I'm relatively satisfied with the result, but it's still like, there's still things in it that I'm like, ah, so I'm be constantly, <laughs> you know, with the next one, how can I improve that? Um, but counterpoint, uh, going from something like that that's complex to some a character like uh castrum the old chicago guy the yeah or dick tracy inspired guy that's a different challenge because i have to figure out what to leave out <laughs> it's like the simplicity of him oh, okay yeah that's, yeah and <clears throat> the the more there's like this weird gray area between complex styles that has a problem that you have to solve and it relates to a simple style that has the same problem you have to solve is like with a complex style, you can easily go too much. So you have to find that balance. If you go too much, then, then 
it really shows it, mm-hmm. it becomes you know problematic same with a simple character if you don't leave out the right things then the the things you are showing don't work as effectively as they should so mm-hmm. they kind of relate to each other in that way and are both a similar challenge but one is you know takes less time than the other is a diff, kind of different uh thinking uh involved with each one and then something like kirby as much as i love kirby kirby is like you know the end all be all you know yeah his style is not that easy uh to grasp especially for for someone like me uh i i feel like i'm slowly getting there to where i'm somewhat satisfied with the energy of the character mm. that Kirby, you know, Kirby's characters have a certain energy, even if they're just standing there, right. I'm yeah. slowly figuring that out. But as long as I, I feel it's successful enough, as long as the inspiration is still recognizable. Yeah. Because I, you know, even though, uh, the character, I don't know, there's something about that character Romulus that I feel like that style is perfectly suited for. Um, and because I love what Kirby does so much, I feel like it's a, again, it's another challenge and it's another learning lesson for myself. I'm like, what can I glean out of doing this style? Uh, and the tricky part is, uh, is making it feel right without ever um, just looking at Kirby comics and duplicating his poses. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. like, I, I put my mind in a set where I imagine what those poses were and try to like, can I make it as close to that as I can? Yeah. It's way off, but, but as long as, but the inspiration is clearly recognizable. I think, you know, like in the color schemes of the character and the, the the decor of him and stuff. The the haircut, the haircut for sure. Sold me. Yeah. 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 You need, you need like a, two to three times more exclamation points in all of uh, Romulus's dialogue. <laughs> then it'll be super curvy. <laughs> right. Yeah. The, or, or the, the oddly placed, uh, um, bold words. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That'll definitely, definitely bring it home. Um, that's awesome. No, that that's great. I mean, I, I love, it's funny because, you know, if, in writing about it, I would have described the, the different styles of characters and the different visuals as like visual shorthand yes. or like, Oh, this is, you know, but it's like the actual thinking and the actual process of creating those is anything but short. Like it's right. not, <laughs> it's not shorthand, you know, it's, right. it's tremendously yeah. uh, involved, which is great. Um, it, so it, with Echolance too, you have um, some really interesting and, and kind of mysterious back matter in these books. Um, I mean, there's uh there's this alien that's kind of prophesizing what's yeah. to come. There's this interview segment with kind of the, you know, the shadowy uh, overlord of all of this and uh, the wizard, you know, of sorts. And then there's um, these, these mini comics. How did you decide, uh, you know, kind of on the back matter for the, for the back of the book and, and what kind of goes into that process? It was one of the things we kind of decided on last actually, which was Mm. kind of funny, but as we, because we actually, if I remember correctly, we had actually written issues and I was already drawing them before we decided there should be back matter. But one of the first things we had talked about early on um, that it would be cool to have like an interview thing. That was probably the, the main thing that we, we decided on uh, was an interview with the villain. And that will play a per- particular role as we move along in how it will sort of vaguely or loosely weave in and out of the narrative timeline which is super fun to think about. Um, uh, so, but because we were doing that, I'm like, it can't be just that then there has to be something else here to make it a little bit more fully realized. I even wish we had more time to do more things for the back matter yeah. uh, to, to flesh out. So when we decided to do the interview thing, I'm like, Oh, okay, well, if this is an interview with the villain, what's it in it? And we decided to call, you know, to come up with a a magazine that might be published in the world of Echo Lands. And so we, right. I think Hayden said, oh, let's call it the Echo. And um, so we decided on that. And then I'm like, well, if we're going to have a, a, like an excerpt from a magazine. We should have at least a couple other things to to plug into that. And that's where the the cheap, you know, the cheapy uh, like um, 
like the flyer type ads, mm-hmm. you know, like the mailer ads. So instead of doing like super fancy glorified ads, I'm like, no, let's make it look like these cheap ads. Like this is, this is a mailer magazine that goes into people's mailboxes or whatever. Yeah. Like these little simple ads that, you know, people can purchase. And I'm like, well, if we're going to do that, then let's do a cartoon. And, uh, and then we were like, you know, we pretty much decided, okay, that's what we're going to do. But we had to decide what those things would be until yeah. late in the game. Uh, and then, um, and then I, you know, he and I both started coming up with ad ideas and then he came up with the cartoon idea based on something that he had thought of when I think when he was, I might be misquoting here, but I think when he was in college, hmm. he came up with the, the characters that we see in the cartoon he had thought of when he was, uh, I think in college. And so this kind of gave him an opportunity to take something that he thought of a long time ago before having a comics career yeah, you put plug into the book, which is kind of cool because then we both, we both have like these little tidbits of things from when we were young exist yeah. in this book together, um, and it was like such a great idea. His concept was such a great idea because in my head, before we came up with what it is, I was like, I want the, a cartoon, but instead of it being a, com- a cartoon strip, because we're already dealing in comics already have it be a single panel comic strip mm-hmm. kind of like far side. So I wanted something that was off kilter. Not it, it can make you chuckle. Maybe it could have irony in it. Um, but not something that was necessarily designed to make you laugh out loud funny. Yeah. So, and that, so I mean, immediately made me think of far side. And so I'm like, if we could do something weird like that, Mm-hmm. And that's what, so we ended up coming up with that. And I don't remember how we came up with the name of the cartoon. I think we like had come up with a list of various names for the cartoon and somehow we stumbled on here we ego. Cause it's almost mm-hmm. like, here we go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you <know? laughs> so There you go. Perfect. All right. That's awesome. Yeah, no, it's, it's been a really interesting series so far. Um, it, it, you know, in the, the back matter as well, something that is not um, a piece of that world, but is included as well. You have all these lists of these playlists at the end of every issue of all the, the vinyls that you're going through as you're constructing echo lands. Um, it's a great list. Like I, I really love that. Like with these comics, I have a thing where I'm like, nah, I could just queue up all these and, and listen to these, like while I'm do- like going through my day. Cause it's a lot of music that I would listen to as well. Um, do you line up the music when you're working to fit the mood of what you're working on? Or is it less about that and more about what do I want to listen to? It's just pretty much what I want to listen to. It's really yeah. random. Uh, the fact that it's so eclectic is appropriate because that Echo Lands is so eclectic as well. Sure, um, yeah. So that, you know, going... And everything that's listed there is the order they were list, they were listened in. Mm, yeah. So, you know, the fact that it'll jump around in, in uh, genres so dramatically kind of lends itself to the idea of Echo Lands because it's such a mashup as well. I think the only thing in retrospect I think we should have done with the the music list is make it feel more like it was part of the magazine mm. uh, by coming up with some sort of fake, uh, I don't know, it could have been, even been the Oracle's playing list, you know? The yeah, some, something in universe, right? Yeah, yeah. But what can you do? It's too late. <laughs> but, you'll, um, you'll- well, you just have to draw yourself in to, uh, to the magazine staff and then right. now you're, now you have the meta connection. Right. Right. <laughs> well, fun, you know, funnily enough, um, alias five, the character who conducts the interviews yeah. um, is sort of like visually a mashup between me and Hayden. <laughs> so. Oh, okay. <laughs> there you go. That's great. That's great. All right, cool. So yeah, so everybody I think should definitely be checking out Echolands. It's definitely one of the most interesting books this year. Like I said, if you can get to a local comic shop and actually find a copy in print, um, it is it is worth checking it out and seeing if it if it works for you. Uh, JH, I, I want to change gears just a little bit and talk, sure. you know, a little more broadly. Um, I guess, you know, we we're talking about this with Kirby and I guess I'm kind of curious now too, like what it, like you have this long career of really celebrated, um, incredible artwork. What kind of comics and, and art do you look up to? Like, what's the stuff that you're like, Oh, that is amazing. I want to, I want to be like that. Oh, that's, that's, that's tough. I, I, 
I read, uh, I pick up a lot of comics, um, probably too many because I can't keep up with a lot of it. Yeah, right. Um, but, you know, as far as moderns, okay, well, I'll just kind of throw some random stuff that comes to my head. Sure. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> so, like, Frank Avia. Frank Avia, as a modern uh, artist who clearly loves old school horror. Yeah. Um, I love is tremendous because his uh, his sense of composition and um, simple approach to color palette is so. Every time I see a fully finished image from him, I'm just like, wow, you know, uh, always impressive. Um, but uh, you know, and then you know, going to Kirby, uh, of course. Um, Kirby was an early influence for me. Uh, uh, and Mobius for sure. Uh, yeah. A lot of a lot of European stuff um, really grabs me. Um, but a lot of the, it seems like a lot of the European stuff I get that I pick up tends to be older works that are just newly brought over. Yeah, and I'm super excited over uh, you know some manga, but more more of the classic manga is what I'm excited over, like Osamu Tezuka. I'll, I'll mm-hmm. read anything by him. Um, that sort of stuff comes up, um, uh, uh, other modern people. I mean, there's all kinds of modern artists. I love, you know, Liam Sharp does some interesting things. Uh, uh, Cully Hamner, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard for me to pin down a a solid list because there's so many guys I like, I'm afraid I'll leave somebody out. (laughs) Yeah, no, totally (laughs) fair. Uh, Bilson Cabbage, you know, uh, mm-hmm. of course, uh, the main person that got me wanting to be a comic book artist in the first place though, was Michael Golden. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's not so obvious in my work, his influence, except for maybe there's little things I do that I'm like, yeah, I can see that coming through, even though mm-hmm. it, you wouldn't be able to just you wouldn't be able to pick it out so easily, but there's little things that, that still creep in that, that he would do like a lighting touch or an angle or something like that. But, um, uh, P Craig Russell is another top one for me. Um, Steranko, uh, but, uh, yeah, Michael Golden, there's, I don't know what it was about his work, but it just, even today I still look at it and I'm like, Oh my God, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but pretty, you know, all these guys that I've mentioned, they all have certain aspects to them that are just like, I, it's magic what they do to, for me when I look at it. Um, Oh, uh, um, uh, the name was escapes me. I hope I'm saying this correct, correctly. Javier Polito. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the new issues he put out of Ninjak. I don't know if you've seen those. And I don't know what's going on. I heard that he's not going to be on it anymore or something. Yeah, it was a weird, uh, it was a weird thing where he was like in the middle of uh, like the fifth issue and all of a sudden like there was, I don't know, something something weird happened there at Valley where he got got taken off because I I love his stuff. It's so great. Yeah. Yeah. And that first issue, the new Ninjak came out and I, I was flipping through it and I'll pick up anything he does anyway. But I was flipping through it and I was almost like, I don't care who this sounds completely terrible to say, but I'm like, I don't care if the story is good or not. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> the, what Polito was doing there with clearly is a masterclass in comic storytelling. I mean, mm-hmm. just genius design work going on there and telling a story, every panel taking color into consideration Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, yeah, I w- down at the local shop when it came out, I was flipping through. I'm like, everybody, look at this. <laughs> and I was like, ma- comics gold as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's awesome. That's a great pick. Very cool. All right, yeah, everybody, check out uh, check out Javier Paluto if you haven't already. And uh, you know, most recently on Ninjak, he's done a lot, bunch of Marvel stuff too. That I think is uh, is cool and worth checking out for for you. You know, you have this this long career um, that that you've had all these. You know, a very selective, I think, approach in terms of like you know these these runs that you've been on. What's the work that you 
look back on and feel the proudest of? <laughs> oh, I don't know. The, the classic, which of your children is your favorite question? <laughs> um, I don't know. Each one of them is so distinct, even though there, you can so, see some similarities between them. Uh, I don't know. It's really hard to say. Different For different reasons, you know, like, okay, Promethea I'm extremely proud of, of course. Uh, I think it's a very challenging work um, as a body of work. But mm-hmm. I have, a, for myself, I have a hard time looking at older pieces of work without being biased about what I've done on them. Yeah. So it's hard for me to pick on that. But on some, but what I appreciate about Promethea was, I guess I'm really super proud of that one because that was where I was able to kind of like say, here's what I do. Here's what I, I can explore and see what happens. That was the first work where I was able to do that. And the lessons I learned there I was able to carry over into following projects uh, yeah. and, and figure out new ways to to use some of those techniques and storytelling tricks that uh, I developed on there. But each one of the projects I've done since then are so distinct that I, I can't help but love. So like sure. after that, I went into, you know, I did a little bit uh, some DC stuff like, you know, the Seven Soldiers of Victory and some Batman. Mm-hmm. Each of those are very distinct. And even though you can kind of see how they relate to some of the things I did in Promethea, they were different enough because some of the elements in the stories demanded that that to be different enough. Mm -hmm. And around that same period of time, I also did Desolation Jones. And uh, that brought out a completely different thing in in my thinking too. Um, And... I, it was funny because I was looking at Desolation Jones pages again recently for whatever reason. And I was like, Oh, this isn't half bad. What I did. <laughs> yeah. Still uh, felt good about him. Uh, but then, you know, moving on to Batwoman where, you know, what Greg and I did was so distinct and then getting to take over after he left. I'm super proud of what we did on Batwoman too. I feel like what Hayden and I did on Batwoman I think we did a lot of things that were unexpected. Uh, yeah. You know, particularly because we brought in this mythical supernatural element, um, which Greg, you know, hinted at in different places with Batwoman. Uh, but I think our Hayden and I's take on it was slightly different in any sure. ways that we could, I don't know. It was like, it allowed me to, even though I got to write some things before, like uh, working with, Dan Curtis Johnson on Chase and mm-hmm. Batman and Snow. Um, I was a co-writer on those things, but it wasn't so obvious. A lot of it was in the plot. And le- I got to dabble with scripting a bit more on Batman and Snow. Uh, but, it, you know, it wasn't where until Batwoman where I was able to like, oh, no, I'm, I'm going to write this thing, you mm-hmm. know, yeah, I have a co-author and we both tackled it, but I was like, no, I'm going to take the lessons I've learned from working with other uh, writers on, on writing scripts and trying to tell a story that I would like to read Yeah, be a writer. So that I'm proud of it for that. Um, And then, you know, Sam and Overture, I kind of feel like Sam and Overture was an opportunity, at least before Echoland's, got started for me to kind of like, Oh, everything you saw before it's mm-hmm. already here. It's mm-hmm. all in this, this one contained six issue miniseries. All these different things are going to be in there. And I feel like Sam and overture is a, a very realized piece of work. So I'm yeah. so proud of it for that. And of course, getting to work with Neil was an absolute dream. Uh, uh, one of the best things too, there's two great stories I have for myself. I thought they were great. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Was he asked for a list of things I want to draw uh-huh. before he started writing. Uh, well, of course we had conversations about that. What kind of story he wanted to tell. And he was like, um, he's like, it's going to be a cosmic story. I'm like, huh? And I was like, super 
a super fan of Sandman already, but yeah. when you say cosmic, I'm like, whoa. And, and I'm like, I love cosmic comics. And then the, I can help but throw out Jim Starlin in that conversation because yeah, master of cosmic comics. And he's like, he's like, yes, Jim Starlin as if it's, the 1700s or something like that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, okay. Right on. Yeah. Um, and then he asked for a list of things I wanted to draw. And so I'm like, Oh, that's kind of tough. Cause I'm, I'm happy to draw anything. And so, uh, I just came up with a random list. Some of it were things that I was actually genuinely interested in. And mm-hmm. those things were just like, come off the top of my head. Like, Oh, insects i like drawing insects let's put some insects in there and i put all this stuff in there and he found some way to put it in the entire every element is in that he got it all in there in some form or another that's amazing it's really amazing and the fact that he would go to that kind of trouble was super cool um and then my other favorite bit was i almost i had i felt like i had this really good rapport with neil even though we didn't necessarily talk all the time I felt like we were in simpatico really quick and his yeah. description of it, where he was talking about, it's like playing a game of tennis back and mm. forth. Very, very apt. But I remember this one time where I was, uh, he was working on the next script and I was, you know, about ready to get the next script ready to start. And he calls me up on the phone and he's like, he's like, I'm going to, he's like, I'm, he was, this is what the next scene, the next thing will be. And then he starts reading. So I have this moment where he's reading to me for like 20, 30 minutes. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's like, he's got such a great speaking voice. So it's like, yeah. you imagine how like, he was like, ah, oh, story time with Neil. <laughs> <laughs> it was such Your a old private audio book. Yeah. yeah. It was such a wonderful moment. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but as far as being proud of the various work, I mean, it, I don't know. I'm always like, it's hard. I always live in this kind of gray world about what I do. Uh, there's times when I'm working on a page where I'm wanting to rip my hair out or my beard hair. Yeah. Um, and just is extremely frustrated with whatever it is I'm doing. Uh, and there's times where I'm like, when I'm done with something, I'm like, I'm like, oh, that actually came out okay. And there's other times where I'm like, I, I can't look at, it. I can't look at. It. I don't know. It's like this weird gray area of different um, neuroses coming in about the Sure, words. sure, so, yeah. You know, uh, hopefully, I was. I'm, I don't want to give people the wrong impression about. You know, I, I am proud of the things I've done, but at the same time, it's like it's hard to quantify that. Cause I always feel like everything I've done, there's always things I could feel like I could do better. Or if I tackled that again today, how I would do it differently, you know? And yeah, so, but well, that's, that's definitely the biggest, I mean, that's, that's a huge takeaway for me just from, from talking to you here and reading echo lands, like, like how much you're pushing yourself, like how much you're genuinely engaged and excited by the challenge of a new yeah. thing. You know, because I, I think it it's easy in all walks of life, all creative creative endeavors to like get complacent, right? And to sit yeah. and be like, well, I know how to do this thing. I'll keep doing it, right? Yeah. Um, but you're like, no, what's what's the next thing? Like, let me try this. Let me try this wild new thing. And that's, yeah. you know, I think a lot of what we see in Echolands. Yeah, I, I hope so. I hope people feel like it's engaging for them in that way. Um, there's clearly definite moments like when working on the stu- the, the world that Rosa the vampire lives in. There's moments where I'm, when I was working on that, I even sent a message to Eric Stevens. I'm like, what the fuck did I do to myself? <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm like, you know, or my wife will come in and I'll be exasperated because I'm like, I'm like, I've spent an hour drawing this uh, or rendering this, this castle wall. <laughs> you know? yeah. And she's like, blame the writer. <laughs> all right yeah it's right there in the script yeah yeah there's like this these moments of uh exasperation involved in the process uh but at the same time would i make a different decision knowing how hard it is no (laughs) because i feel like Mm -hmm. yeah it's hard but i'm i feel like i'm making the right choices for what it needs to be and so you kind of live in this zone sometimes where you're like 
you have to kind of keep reminding yourself like, Oh yeah, this, this took 11 days. Uh, but you kind of have to keep reminding yourself the end result is what hopefully matters when, when all is said and done in that, uh, I don't want to take shortcuts just for the sake of time, which mm-hmm. might frustrate readers down the road. Uh, but hopefully when it all said and done, they'll forget about that. I think they forgot about that with Overture. They forgot about that with Promethea. I mean, there was a time, I think we were only a year and a half into Promethea and we quickly became only four issues a year because yeah. various circumstances. One, Alan couldn't, couldn't do more than that because he had a, such a big commitment. Uh, I had family stuff going on at that time, so I couldn't do uh, more than that. And I didn't want to shorthand what Alan was giving me either. Right. You know, shortchange it. I mean, uh, so I'm like, well, it's going to take to do what Alan wants here. It's going to, this is what it's going to take. So that's the way it is. Uh, and same with Overture. When, you know, I think it took us nearly two years to do Overture. Um and I know there was a lot of, you know, there were some people that were like, oh my God, why it's just taking forever. But now when it's all said and done, no one remembers that. And they, yeah. they, they, yeah. they're happy with the end result, which is to me, that's what matters is doing something that people feel like they can come return to. Mm-hmm. It's not forgotten a month later, you know? So, yep. Yep. No, I, th- I think you're totally right. I mean, that monthly release cadence or that, that regular comics release cadence is yeah. such a short term in the moment thing. <laughs> and I mean, you know, in your long term view of like, like, I mean, you know, I'm picking up Promethea 20 years later and it's like, you know, it didn't, it doesn't matter to me. I didn't know about the release schedules because I wasn't reading it then, you know? Right. So yeah, it's yeah. like, that's, that's how people are coming to these now. So yeah, I think yeah. you're spot on. Um, all right. Awesome. This has been a great conversation. What's, uh, what's coming next for you? Like, what do you, what do you want people to know about and make sure they're, they're checking out? Um, let's see, besides the more echo lands, uh, uh, I did a eight page thing. I can't say what it is yet. It won't really mm-hmm. talk about it yet. Uh, but it was fun to do. It was, uh, um, <clears throat> co co-written by me and my wife, oh, um, nice. which was cool. Uh, it's different than other things I've done. Um, uh, I've been working on, um, writing some other projects that, a couple of them are greenlit in in various stages of production. Um, I can't really say what they are yet. Is it is it more creator owned stuff or is yes. it more licensed work? Yeah, yeah. One one is a, is a uh, a series, um, and then and another one's an OGN, and the nice. OGN is close to the art on it. It's close to being done. I'm not the artist on it. I'm just uh, uh, acting as a writer, co-author. Is that a first for you? Uh, let me think. I've done a little bit of things here and there where I co-wrote for another artist. A little bit of that yeah. one was done that way. Um, oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, there, scenes, yeah. Right? Um, so, yeah, I, I kind of feel like, I don't know, it's just a different outlet, you know? So it's yeah. another way to get another concept out there and work with some, you know, really cool artists um that uh, hopefully when people see what these people these artists are doing they're gonna be like whoa um but that's i can't not much more i can say until they're announced really you know sure sure Um, no that makes sense cool well in the meantime everybody's got echo lands number four i think by the time this comes out that should be close to in shops if not uh if not already (laughs) so uh so we'll look for that and then um so i i guess is it is echo lands is it like a six issue arc and then there will be like a new arc or is that, what's the cadence there? Yeah. It's uh, when we first started writing it, we didn't really think about breaking it down into arcs. Mm. Um, but then when it came time to talk about from the, uh, from image it, talking about where, where to break it for, you know, the inevitable collections. Mm-hmm. And initially really, we were like, Oh, we'll break it at issue five. But then when we, the further we got into the writing, I'm like, nah, the way issue five ends is not going to be a good, a good breaking point for, uh, you know, part one of something. Yeah. Um, so we decided on six and it was funny. Cause when I talked to, to Eric about it, I'm like, but you know, the next one we could do five and he's like, no, just keep it at six. <laughs> keep know, it consistent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so yeah. Um, 
it's an arc, but it definitely, you know, people feel like, oh, this is clearly only part one of, right, know? right, yeah, because this cool. is a good story. <laughs> so good. No, that's good for people who are digging it. That is, that's always what you want to hear. So, all right, awesome, JH. This was a pleasure getting to talk to you. Um, everybody, should check out Echolands. We'll include links here in the show notes. Uh, but otherwise, you know, thanks so much for taking the time. I appreciate it. Sure, it was cool. great to be on.